0: Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning. Good morning. That was hearty. Good to see you. Well, welcome to Seacoast Vineyard Church. I want to give a warm welcome to anyone who hasn't been to church in a long time. Maybe your friend's surprise brought you. You thought you were going to brunch, and then you, your friend said, hey, detour 27th Avenue North, let's go to church. So I just want to say welcome. We have been expecting you, so we are glad that you are here. I also want to say a warm welcome to our Facebook Live guests. We are now streaming the 930 service live via Facebook. Now, that doesn't mean you watch this in your bed. That doesn't mean you miss out on this communal experience, right, because you can't recreate community online. But it's now live for our friends who maybe want to be introduced to Us Vineyard Church on Facebook. Well, I'm assuming you got an extra hour of sleep last night, right? I'm just curious, what are some things that maybe you did in your extra hour? I'll be honest, I slept, but. You slept? Did anyone go on a run? No. No one worked out in their extra hour? Did anyone read? No. Okay, I, the readers are over here. Okay, the sleepers are maybe over here and over here. <laughs> well, I'm assuming you are well rested because we are about to get into week two of our brand new series called the Grand Reversal. And so if you are just joining us, we are going through the book of Esther. And if you have never read the book of Esther, I once heard a friend say, it's kind of like The Bachelor meets The Hunger Games. (laughs) This stuff is pretty brutal. It's violent, it's sexual, it's all of the very real things. So I'm going to give you a quick backstory. You ready? Buckle up. Okay, Esther and Mordecai, they're living in Persia. We have Esther, who was probably about 15, entering the story. Mordecai is her cousin who adopted her when her parents were killed. So they are living in Persia and they are Jewish. All of the Jewish people are in exile, scattered across throughout the empire. But you know, Esther and Mordecai, they were living on the margins when this story started. But upon Mordecai's encouragement, Esther wins a nationwide beauty contest. So she's now right next door to King Xerxes. So she goes from living in the margins to the queen of Persia in like 2.5 seconds. What? Last week, we saw Haman enter the story. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of get the squirmies when I think about Haman. It's kind of like the wrong guy got the promotion. You see, Haman got the second-in-command position to King Xerxes. Well, Mordecai knows the wrong guy got the promotion. So Mordecai, he refuses to bow down to Haman, just like everyone else is doing, bowing down to Haman. So this really ticked Haman off, especially when Haman found out that Mordecai was a Jew. Are you with me so far? Okay. So Haman, with a little sprinkle of manipulation, somehow gets King Xerxes to approve that all the Jewish people should be wiped out across the entire empire. So if I was to put this in a tweetable sentence, y'all remember when tweets were 140 characters? Now they're what, 240, 280? Who tweets anymore? Oh, ruffled some feathers. (laughs) But if I was to put this in a tweetable sentence, with Esther's crown came crisis. With Esther's crown came crisis, and what's the crisis? Her people are about to be wiped out and annihilated across the entire empire, and the king approves of it all. So we have Esther, who's a Jew, and she's also the queen of Persia. So she's straddling these two kingdoms in conflict. Can you talk about a defining moment in Esther's life? Yes. So I want you to think about your last defining moment. When was it? When was your last defining moment? Maybe it was graduation. Maybe you fell in love. Maybe you bought a house for the first time. Maybe you experienced success or you experienced failure. When was your last defining moment? moment. But you know, when I think about those defining moments, is it really the mantle with the trophy on the mantle or the framed degree on the wall? Those moments seem to be defining ourselves to other people, right? What about those moments where our life could go in one direction or our life could go in another? So to put it simply, friends, you're like, what's she going to pull out? Our defining moments are like a fork in the road. Our defining moments are like a fork in the road. It's one of those times where depending on the moment and how you react to it, your life could go in one direction or your life could go in another direction. And you know, sometimes crisis comes up and that crisis ends up defining our moments So today, we're going to check out how Esther and Mordecai respond to this crisis. And we're just going to pick up some helpful tools along the way. Sound good? All right. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn to Esther chapter 4? You're in luck. It'll be on the screens. So here we go. Picking up in Esther chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, "'and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. "'But he went only as far as the king's gate, "'because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. "'In every promise to which the edict and order of the king came, "'there was great mourning among the Jews. "'With fasting, weeping, and wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. "'When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, "'she was in great distress,' She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathik, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So friends, when you are faced with a fork in the road, this defining moment, where your life could go in one direction or your life could go in another direction, What I love what Esther is doing here is that she is asking the question, why? Did you notice that? She asked why. You see, Esther only became aware of her predicament when she heard about her cousin's weird behavior. Wearing sackcloth was not a style choice. To Esther's credit, she would have known that Mordecai was mourning something. She would have known that Mordecai was upset about something. But Esther also does not assume she has all the right answers. So she addressed the symptom first by sending Mordecai clothes. And it was only after Mordecai refused those clothes that she inquired about the root. So Esther, I can just see you're wondering, what's wrong with my uncle? Why is he mourning? Did someone in my family die? Did someone that I love pass? I really don't want to see him like this. So behind the scenes, Esther is asking all of the right questions. So when you are in your defining moment, how are you asking the right questions? Are you even asking questions to begin with? So I'm gonna draw an illustration for you. That I heard via Tim Holt, (laughs) that Tim heard Rich Nathan, a vineyard pastor in Columbus. Now, Tim heard this about 20 years ago, and, and I just heard this. So I'm gonna put my own spin on it. Sound good? All right. So here we are in life. This is our life called a wall, and here is a ladder. We all are climbing different ladders in life. There's lots of ladders. Some of us are climbing the ladders to fun. We chase recreation our entire lives. Some of us are climbing the ladders of purpose, right? We just want this deep, meaningful purpose. In today's context, I'm going to use the dollar sign, because I think a lot of us are chasing after the dollar sign. So here we are. Oh, gosh, that's a leg? That's right. So here we are. We're chasing the dollar sign, and we're on this ladder called life. And so we're asking the question, how can I a- achieve this promotion in my job? Okay? Or how can I get uh, the Christmas bonus? Right? How can I achieve more success? How can I basically get to the top of my ladder? What do I need to do to reach the pinnacle of success? with the dollar sign in life. Well, friends, there's lots of ladders in life. We are all climbing different ladders. But eventually, we are going to get to the top of our ladder, also known as the end of your life. But what if we realize that our ladder is actually propped up against the wrong wall? What if that wasn't the ladder? that we were supposed to be climbing. So here's my spin on this. What if there's a kingdom wall and a kingdom ladder? What if, instead of saying, how can I get a promotion? How can I get that Christmas bonus? What can I do to achieve the pinnacle of success? What if we put on our kingdom eyes instead? And what if we said, God, what do you have to say about this promotion? Or, God, what do you have to say about this Christmas bonus? Who do you want me to bless with it? God, what do you have to say about me reaching success and having influence and purpose in this job? Because, you see, God's just got something so much bigger and better for you than reaching the pinnacle of success, and that's all there is to life. God's got something so full of adventure and purpose for you, and I'm excited for you to figure that out, because we're going to talk about that today. But there's nothing wrong with ladder climbing. But are you asking the right questions along the way? Are you asking questions with a kingdom lens in mind? Yesterday, I was driving to Surfside, and you know the intersection where 544 spits out into ocean, lakes? Yeah, okay. So I see these two gentlemen holding signs and dancing and hooting and hollering, and it was quite a show, really, it was. And I saw this one gentleman, a younger gentleman, hold a sign, and it said, honk if you love Jesus. So all these cars are driving by, and they're honking. Some were probably honking, some were probably not. But it was hilarious, because every time a car would drive by and honk, the older gentleman in the duo, he was the funny one, he would do this little dance, and then he would do this, "You." Every time a car would honk their horn. So I'm at the front line, right? I'm like, oh, man, I cannot wait to get a green light because I want to see this guy do this dance and this, you, right? I could not wait to go. And, and, duh, I would honk because I love Jesus, but it's beside the point. <laughs> then I notice this older gentleman Had a different sign from his counterpart. It didn't say honk if you love Jesus. In fact, his sign just blatantly said, Where are you going? Where are you going? He had other signs that would make sense in the context from scripture and stuff. He didn't mean, Where in surfside am I going? He meant, Where are you going, heaven or hell? (laughs) Where are you going? And you know, I think that guy had the wrong question on his sign. Because as followers of Jesus, have we just been saved from hell, right? Have we just been saved from a get out of hell free card? Or have we been saved for something so much more as followers of Jesus? That guy had the wrong question on his sign. It shouldn't have said, Where are you going? It should have said, What are you doing with the life that you have been given? Friends, when we are facing our defining moment, are we asking questions along the way? And are we asking the right questions along the way? Some of you are probably wondering if I honked as I drove by. Absolutely, I will forever die an optimist. Of course I honked. I also prayed for him. But (laughs) you see, your question asking may lead to the next series of events in your own narrative. Esther's question asking led to the next series of events in her own narrative. I mean, this stuff gets crazy. Check this out. Verse 6, let's throw that up on the screens. I want to get my millennial water bottle. All right, verse six, here we go. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain it to her and he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathik went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So imagine you are Esther in this moment. Imagine you are her, and you get this piece of information. That's a whole lot to process, yes? Somehow, Esther does not know that her people are about to be wiped out. So that news naturally just crippled her. And so that lofty idea of going before the king unannounced, you you can pick up on that. She goes, yeah, Mordecai, that's a great idea. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to go before the king unannounced, just drop in on him and just say, hey, spare my people. She sees the scepter, and she also sees the dude holding the axe, okay? She says, Mordecai, that's a great suggestion, but no thanks. I'm out. All hope is lost. Or was it? Or was it, friends? Because God, God has been the silent actor throughout the entire book of Esther, You see, God's story will prevail, even if Esther misses her cue of opportunity here in her chapter four. And some of you here today feel like you've missed your cue of opportunity in your own chapter four. Well, there is good news, my friends, that you do not have the last word, that God's purposes will be accomplished even if you feel like your faithlessness is not there. God is so committed to his purposes. He is so committed to that. And that's the good news is that he offers forgiveness through his son, Jesus. And he offers us hope and a purpose. Even if we feel like we have missed our cue of opportunity in our own chapter four, Well, guess what I just did for you guys? I just reframed the weight of your regrets through the lens of the gospel, and that's exactly what Mordecai is about to do here for Esther. He's about to reframe her situation. Some of you are here today, and you just need your situation reframed. You just need to see it through a different lens today, and check out what Mordecai does for Esther here in verse 12. This stuff is so good, y'all. It's blowing my mind. All right, verse 12. When Esther's words remember, they were filled with fear, were reported back to Mordecai, he sent this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So Mordecai, he took this terrifying reality and he reframed Esther's position. He says, hey, Esther, God didn't put you as queen because your pension is going to be awesome. God put you as queen For such a time as this. So, when you are faced with a fork in the road, the second question I have is Who is your Mordecai? Who is your Mordecai? You see, Mordecai is the one who helps reframe Esther's situation. He's saying, hey, Esther, I know you are at a critical crossroads, and I know there's high emotion, and I also know that you probably can't see outside yourself. So let me reframe the situation for you. So my question for you is, who is your Mordecai? Who is reframing your moment for you? When I think about the Mordecais that have been in my life, I think about the people that have been in close proximity to me. They have either been in my community or in my context, right? There's trust there. When I think about Mordecai's, I think about those people who haven't had an agenda for my life, but they trust Jesus with my life. When I think about Mordecai's, I think about people that have gone before me, people that have put their life on the line before they asked me to do the same thing. If you noticed, Mordecai hung outside the king's gates, like through this whole narrative. He was just waiting and listening, hoping he'd get some sort of morsel about Esther so that he could pray for her. You know, when Haman was promoted, second in command to King Xerxes, and Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman, Mordecai totally knew That was a death wish. He totally knew. Because Haman, he could have sent his guards out right in that moment and killed Mordecai. It was as as if it was this prophetic act of Mordecai saying, Hey, Esther, I want to ask you to do the same thing down the line. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a Mordecai. Well, friends, that's where the importance of small groups come in. Small groups are intersection spots where we can connect with people, where people can speak into our lives. Friends, without Mordecai, Esther just downright misses her moment. Without our Mordecais, we miss our moments, I think about my young professional small group. Some of them are over here. They're so great. They're full of 20 and 30-year-olds that just love life, and they love Jesus. But I think about that small group, how they have helped me not miss out on my moments. You see, God has had me in some weird and unsettled seasons and places recently. And it kind of was like I was playing Marco Polo in no one was saying polo back. That's what it felt like. It was just, I guess you call it transition. (laughs) I will say, God does his best work for us when we are in transition. That's another sermon for another day, though. But my life had felt so unsettled. And it just felt out of whack. But as I look back with spiritual eyes, I see that God was doing this divine orchestration And he had all these people lined up for such a time as this to speak into my life. And I am forever thankful for those people that God has used to be my Mordecais in those moments. God was doing his thing. It didn't look like it then. It didn't feel like it then. I'm like, Marco, right? But God used those Mordecais to reframe my situation. Now, There's a little bit of a plot twist here because Mordecai also reminds Esther that God does not need her. God does not need her. But God wants her. God invites her. You see, Mordecai understands God's sovereignty here in verse 14. He says, hey, Esther, if you remain silent as in you don't do anything, relief and deliverance will come from somewhere else. God doesn't need us, but God chooses us. Do you get this? And he doesn't let us off the hook. He's saying, hey, I'm inviting you to step up, and you can choose to step up or you can choose to bow out. You see, God's purposes will be accomplished no matter what you choose to do. I just think we're gonna miss out on the blessing of that. Because if I have a neighbor in my neighborhood that needs help, God sees that. And I can either choose to step up or bow out. God knows that neighbor needs help. And if I choose to bow out, he sure as heck is gonna send another neighbor to go help out that neighbor. And I would have missed out on that blessing and opportunity. I love Mordecai's understanding of God's sovereignty here. Well, let's check out Esther's response to Mordecai. You guys ready? It's gonna be good. All right, here we go. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, can you finish it, church? I perish. perish. Can't you hear Esther taking a deep breath? All right, church, we're going to take a church-wide deep breath. Ready? Hold it at the top. Okay, let it out. One more time. Hold it at the top. Let it out. I can just hear Esther taking a deep breath a deep breath before she says these words. The word perish here, it occurs more in the book of Esther than it does in the entire Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible. So it feels like danger is definitely lurking around every corner. But despite the danger lurking around every single corner, can't you hear the faith kick in? With Esther's voice can't you hear the courage just kick in now notice she doesn't go on this mission alone she says hey Susa (laughs) go fast for me we know prayer and fasting go hand in hand so she's saying hey go pray and fast for me I will do the same thing and when it's said and done I will go and do the right thing even if it costs me my life It was for such a time as this moment that Esther does something radical. She was forced to choose between identifying herself as the Jewish people or being absorbed into the collective. Because no one in the court, not even King Xerxes, knew she was a Jew. So that would mean revealing her identity as well. So friends, wherever you are in life, did you know you are not just in that place for you? You are not just there for you. You are not in Myrtle Beach with a great job collecting a paycheck just for you. You are not living in those neighborhoods to live out the American dream just for you. God is not against those things. God loves to give good gifts. But you are not in just those places just for you. You see, God's just got bigger and better things in mind. He's got a bigger and better purpose and mission in mind for you in those places. So our last one, when you are faced with a fork in the road, where has God positioned you? Where has God positioned you? So what places are you in? Maybe it's your work environment, Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your friend circle. But where has God already positioned you? Could you be there for such a time as this moment? Could you be there for more than just yourself? What might it look like to recognize that God has you there, God has you teed up for such a time as this moment? And maybe, just maybe, it's less about the capital M defining moments, and maybe it's more about the lowercase m defining moments, where we find ourselves in a conversation with a friend, helping them identify their moment. What are you doing with what you have? What are you doing with it? You see, everywhere Jesus went, he showed people what life with God was like. And I don't know about you, but I know everywhere I wanna go, I wanna share with people what life God, with God is like. Am I gonna mess up? Absolutely. Am I gonna make a fool out of myself? Probably, yeah. <laughs> Am I gonna get it right every time? No. But I know that's what my Jesus did. Everywhere he went, he showed people what life with God was like. And I know I want to do the same thing. So, what would it look like for exactly where you are at to show people what life with God is like? Maybe your first step is a prayer of openness. God, I have no idea what that even looks like. So, show me. He loves that. A prayer of openness. My friends, God doesn't need you to accomplish his purposes. But God wants you. He's inviting you to help him accomplish this greater picture. So when we're faced with a fork in the road, what questions are you asking? And are you asking the right questions? With a kingdom lens in mind. When you're faced with a fork in the road, who is your Mordecai? Who are those people reframing those moments for you? And lastly, when you are faced with a fork in the road, where has God positioned you? Where are you already that God wants to do some moving and shaking around you? Would you pray with me? Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.